Well, good morning. And like Tyler said, uh, we have an extreme uh, uh, privilege and opportunity this morning to hear from Ryan Pale. For those of you guys who may not know Ryan, uh, he has been on staff for quite a while, uh, leads our uh, youth impact ministry, which a lot of you guys may have been a part of and uh, have had a chance to serve within. Um, and as we talked this morning about the topic of social justice, I, I, as I was kind of walking through the last couple of weeks thinking, uh, really, uh, there's no one in our church and on our staff that I think embodies and owns that passion than Ryan. Um, and so he and his wife, Andrea, have had the chance to be serving within Youth Impact, and, and I think they've had a, a greater impact on our church in this arena than any other staff or any other person that's come through. And so I thought it'd be a great opportunity and great privilege for us to get to hear from Ryan this morning. And so why don't you guys give him a welcome as he comes up. Trey, you're so kind. appreciate that. Um, yes, uh, my name is Ryan I know I don't look uh, trendy enough to do a talk on social justice, so I do apologize for that. I look like a dorky guy. Um, <laughs> I left my skinny jeans at home, and so this is what you get. So <laughs> let, me, um, let me open us in prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Lord, we are, um, gosh, we are, we are grateful for the fact that not only have you called us to do a great work in this world, but you have also empowered us to do it. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Lord, for um, the chance to worship together, to, to yell out and to declare that you are greater. Our God is greater and nothing can stand against us. Thank you that we can stand with one another and declare that. And Lord, for the people who um, maybe the, the biggest thing that they need this morning is to continue to meditate on the fact that you are greater. I want to pray for those people not to be distracted by my talk, but to uh, continue to meditate on that truth. Um, Lord, but for the rest of us, please um, allow us to be attentive to your spirit and to figure out not only that we are to not only grow in the word, but also to grow in the way we live out the scriptures. We're grateful to be here, Lord, and ask that you speak to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, Okay, well, yeah, as Trey said, uh, my name is Ryan Pale, and uh, I work with Youth Impact. Um, are there any Youth Impact leaders here? Just, you don't have to whoop or make loud noises. Cool, good to see you. How's it going, guys? Um, okay, well, uh, yeah, Youth Impact, essentially what we do is we mentor um, students in our community that predominantly live in Section 8 housing. I think a lot of times they're referred to as marginalized uh, children and youth, and so Youth Impact's been around for a lot of years, and um, I have uh, not many people get to actually do their dream job. I get to do my dream job, where my passions and my job very much line up, and so it's a, it's a, fun, it's a fun gig. Well, as, uh, as Trey mentioned, we... Um, or, or as I've heard, you guys are going through a series on heaven and hell. So y'all have been talking about, y'all talked about hell for quite a while and yippee fun topic and you probably didn't invite your friends to that one. But then you started talking about heaven and it was, I mean, it was much better. And I think from what I understand, the question that's been posed the past few weeks is, what does it look like to have heaven here on earth? Or can we have heaven on earth? That's a tricky question. I know like in, in times past when people have asked me that, especially my bosses who are really good theologically and really solid and strong, they'll ask questions like that. And so Ryan, what do you think? Uh, um, can we experience heaven here on earth? And I know there's a right answer and a very wrong answer. And so I'll be like, yeah, what do you think? And, and so I just don't really know. And so some of you may be in that same place where you've heard it before, but I'm going to help you this morning. I'm going to help you know exactly how to answer the question. And it's going to come through a, a guy named Dimitri Martin. Are y'all familiar with Dimitri Martin? He's a, okay, good. Okay, good. So he, um, he's this comedian guy. He looks like he's 12, but I'm guessing he's in his thirties. But anyways, he has this little bit where he talks about sort of the word sort of. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. So sort of, it's just filler. It has no meaning, right? Sort of. Unless you put it to, unless you put it onto or add it onto a bigger phrase. For instance, I love you. Sort of. <laughs> it means something completely different. Or, um, or you're going to live. 
sort of, or it's a boy, sort of. And so you have, so it means completely different things when you attach it to something else. So I'm going to use that great philosopher's terminology. I'm going to say, can we experience heaven here on earth? I'm going to say, yes, you absolutely can, sort of. So just remember that. Can we experience heaven on earth? Absolutely. And here's how. We have been released from bondage and oppression of sin. We've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us we've been blessed in the heavenlies. We have the resurrection power within us, those of us who have the Holy Spirit, who are Christians. We have, we have, so, many, we have so many things, so many blessings that the Lord has given to us. Colossians uses the terminology, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We have new identities. We have new powers. We have all these things, these blessings from heaven. We can't experience heaven on earth, and we are called to use that power and identity to affect change in our world. So we can experience heaven on earth. On the other hand, this earth is still ruled by Satan. We read about that in Ephesians 2. It's still Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of the ruler of the air. There's still death and mourning and sickness. Not everybody worships the one true and high king. So, It's the sort of part. So the question that we're going to ask today is how do we, as God's righteous people, as the faith community, how do we bring God's righteousness, heaven, if you will, how do we bring God's righteousness into this world that's still broken? Or another way to put it is, what is social justice? So I'm going to talk about social justice, but first what I want to do is I want to talk about the negative side, or or not the negative side, maybe the, the way that we misrepresent social justice. The first is through the social gospel. Now, for those of you who don't know the social gospel, like a hundred years ago, people came up with this, this terminology where essentially what they said was, was that social justice, the way that bringing about social revolution trumps evangelism, basically. So, so we don't need to worry about all the evangelism and all the revivals and all that good stuff. What we need to worry about is bringing about a revolution that brings out justice, which brings about equality in education and economics and um, all, all other areas of life. Okay, so what they did is they, they essentially have forsaken the gospel to do social justice. Now, I kind of understand where they're going. So are they her- is it heresy? Yes, because they abandoned the gospel. But I see where they're coming from, because essentially what they've done is they saw, on one hand, they have a righteous and sovereign and justice-oriented God that they are worshiping. On the other hand, they're experiencing this horrible, oppressive environment. And so they're trying to reconcile the two. And so what they did was they replaced the calling of the church. The calling of the church is not discipling believers it's not the Great Commission anymore. It's, it's to bring about revolution. That's the supreme calling of the church. They missed it. Okay, they missed, they missed that calling. What I see now, so, so social, the social gospel story is seeping into our culture now. What I see now is not so much people trying to make sense of this horrible world. What I see is just angry, bitter people. <laughs> they, they go around and they'll throw around phrases like, you know what's wrong with the church today? And then you fill in the blank with whatever book you just read. What's wrong with the church today is we don't care about the poor. We need to get out there. We need to stop doing all this evangelism and we need to get out there and get our hands dirty. We need to bring about equality and justice. You see, there's just tremendously angry people and there's so much angst in there and the passions change week to week to week. It's funny because I've watched it happen and and it's getting popular. In fact, what I would say, there's a great ethicist uh, at Duke. His name is Stanley Howard Wass. He was a, um, he's in the, um, in the Div school and, and, and he says this, he says, the reason that the church is radical is not because they lean to the left on most social issues. What makes the church radical is the fact that they know Jesus, whereas the world does not. You see, for us to do social justice, it must start with a foundation in Christ. 
Because what I would argue is that for us to bring about justice, for us to empower people to succeed in this world, which still hates them, without the hope of Christ, you've done perhaps the most unjust thing that you could do to another human being. The social gospel just doesn't work. But then you have the other side of things. You have the separatist. You have, this is essentially a person that says, let's focus on the gospel and let's, um, let's share our faith. Let's, uh, let, let's lead people to the Lord. Let's get people saved. And let's not focus on all of that other social stuff. That stuff is a distraction. So we're going to focus on evangelism and, and forget about the whole restoration of our society. And, and this, is a, this is a very easy place to land because it involves you just kind of backing up and just sharing, and just sharing your faith. And see, we got, uh, people that bought into this got criticized. Um, this is why whenever we hear Mark say religion is the opium of the masses, what he was talking about is he was talking about how religion has told people, just hang on, get saved, hold on, hold on, hold on, bam, heaven happens. So what Mark said is, that's horrible because you're essentially deadening people. So he wanted revolution. So you're telling people, just be content, just be content, just be content, and then heaven happens, and then all things are going to be great. And so he said that religion was essentially deadening people. And the reason that is, is because the church at that time was so focused on evangelism, but not also restoring people. So I would propose that there's a third option that is great and more biblical, because I think that's what we value in here. Okay, it's the righteous and just society. Now I use these two terms for one reason, because they're biblically, they are pretty much the same. So in the Old Testament, there's one word. It was translated sometimes justice and sometimes righteous. But the hard thing is, when you're reading it in English, when you see just, you think of judicious terms like justice, like justice was served. When you think righteous, you think only of like moral character. So somebody is righteous because they are a man or a woman of high character. But in the Bible, what we see is these two words are, for the most part, synonymous. And what I'm going to propose that they mean is they suggest conformity to the will and the nature of God. So it's to the extent that something measures to the conformity of the image and will of God that something is righteous, that something is considered just. For example, we read about in 1 John 1 where it talks about God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which I think is tremendously powerful. God's justice is what causes forgiveness. A lot of times we think God's justice demands payment, but God's justice is expressed through his forgiveness of sins. Forgiving sins is absolutely in line with the character and nature of God. Therefore, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. So then what does it look like? What, what does it look like for us to accept social justice with these new words, with these new sort of definitions, a social expression of society being in the perfect will and nature of God? I think we can find a great example. I'm going to have you all turn with me. It's the Good Samaritan. I think most of us have heard that story. We all value that. Even in secular culture, we value the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke 10. I'm fairly certain it's in the New Testament. Yes, good. It is. Okay, uh, 10, and then uh, go to uh, verse 25. Let me put it up there for you. Luke 10, 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, What is written in the law, and how have you read it? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But the man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, let's stop there. 
Okay, I was reading this story and I was like, what is this guy getting at? What is this lawyer getting at? And that seems like a really random, a really random question. And, and I, thought about, I thought about my days in college ministry, which I, I do love. It is my heartbeat. And those people in Youth Impact, uh, they're here. Y'all might be able to identify with this. So in Youth Impact, we have, Andre and I have a big Christmas party at our house almost every year. And it's a lot of fun. Everybody does goofy things that end up on Facebook, but we have a great, great time. But, but the very end, the last like half hour, is always a little tricky because people are kind of scooting out, which makes sense. You leave, party when it's time. But then you have, you have these sort of faithful few that are working so hard and diligently to clean up our house so we're not left with a mess. But then you have this other third segment of people, and these are the people that really don't want to help, but really feel like they should help. And so they'll come to me and they'll, they'll come up to me every year. Andre and I joke about this. They'll come up to me and they'll be like, so, hey, hey, Ryan, do you need any help with anything else? And because I'm a very gentle and gracious person, I will sarcastically respond with, yeah, did you see that big pile of trash that you tripped over to ask me if anything else needed to be done? Take care of that. Would be, that would be helpful. Take it out. And if the dishes are still left after you all get back, then go ahead and put those away too. So, and it's because see what happens is people feel bad. They feel obligated because they want to help. They know they should. It's the right thing to do. But on the other hand, they really don't want to do it. So they see this playing out. And I know because I've been there before, you see it playing out this way where you say, you walk, well, listen, how you walk, that'd be weird. But you say, hey, Ryan, do you need any help? And then I'm supposed to say, oh, no, I don't need help. We got it. We're good. We're totally fine. And then because you're a righteous person, you say, you sure? <laughs> and, then, and then I say, no, no, by no, no, y'all get out of here. We got it. We're going to pick it up. And then you walk out, your conscience is cleared, right? I mean, that's, I've done it. Okay. Right. So, so, um, and then I got married and I've been sanctified. So, um, it's true. It's a good thing. I was attentive. I was, okay. That sounded bad. Okay. So here's what happened. I love you. Okay. So, um, so, so, but essentially here's what happened is you have this person who, who knows what he ought to do who has no desire to do it, and who expects Jesus to clear his conscience. Does Jesus do that? Oh, no. Jesus is not into that business. Okay. Instead, what Jesus says is, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But when a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus, I would assume, turns to them and he says, Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, Yeah, you're right. Go, do that. That's what you're supposed to do. So let's paint this scenario. Um, the guy's walking down the street. He not only has his wallet taken, but he's beaten to a pulp. He can't even move, can't take care of himself. Fair to say that he's not in a good neighborhood. He's kind of on the, he's on the bad side of town. Um, in fact, even on this road, it says that, that uh, it was known as the bloody way or the red way. Like it was known, people knew that when you go down this road, you're going to run a risk of getting jumped. There were, there were robbers who, as a profession, would lay waiting for people to walk by this road, and then they would pounce on them. And they wouldn't just steal from them, they would beat them. It was kind of how things went. 
So when we read the story, I think when we read it just for the effect, we, we can easily identify with Jesus and saying, well, of course, those stupid religious people, they're not going to sit and do anything. It's just like today. They're not going to do anything. They're, they're, uh, they're too concerned with whatever. But what I'm going to ask us all to do is to put ourselves into the story. So imagine this. So let's put it this way. Let's say you're walking down a, a dark alley late at night. You're in that part of town. I'm not talking about Bryan College Station. I'm talking about Houston or Philly or Detroit or whatever. You're in a, you're in a, you're in a dark alley, and you're, uh, you know that it, it's not safe for a person to walk by here. You have to be very, very um, careful and cautious about what's going on around you. Okay, now you have two options. The first option is you're walking along. You see this dude laying on the ground. You don't know if he's the good guy or the bad guy, but you see him laying on the ground and you stop and you take care of him. Um, You're like, hold on, sir, put down my laptop and my iPod and all that good stuff. I'm going to tend to your needs. I would say don't pour wine on him because that doesn't, translate the same way nowadays. Don't pour wine on the man that you see. But what I would say is you walk down to the guy um, and you care for him. You, you, not only do you care for him, you completely let your guard down knowing that the robbers could easily still be there. So you've made yourself completely vulnerable. You've sacrificed your own safety to tend to this person's needs. Okay, so that's one option. Most of us would probably think, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I'd do that. Or let me present a different option that I think would be more wise. You see this person and you say, oh my gosh, this looks bad. I'll be right back. Let me go to the nearest place. I'm going to go where it's safe and I'm going to find the authorities. I'm going to call them, have them come back and take care of you. Right? Sounds like the better option. Most of our parents would probably tell us, go with the second option. Right? There's a, there's a wisdom, a conventional wisdom that goes with that. Okay, but what this person did is he completely sacrificed himself. The Samaritan sacrificed himself to enter into the life of this poor and needy person that was in his path beautiful example of what social justice looks like. It requires sacrifice. It it requires a humility and a sense of self-denial to enter into the life of another person who is hurting. And not only did he bandage him and take care of his immediate need, he took him and made sure that he was well, made sure that he was healed. And he did whatever it took to make sure that man was healed. It's a powerful illustration of what social justice or social righteousness looks like. But these are all old stories. Okay, they're supposed to still apply today. I want to I bring it home. I want to talk about College Station. So um, we're going to get practical uh, right now. So what's the reality of our, of our world right now? How many of y'all, by, by a show of hands, um, and this isn't, I'm not going to judge you, or at least I'm not supposed to judge you, okay? Um, I'm not, no, I'm not going to judge you. Um, just for, I'm just taking a poll. By, just by a show of hands, how many people have been um, down Martin Luther King Drive in, in Bryan, Texas as college students? Okay, if you're in Youth Impact, keep your hands down. Okay, okay, okay. It's fair, fair, okay, fairly low. Okay, good. That means the next part is going to apply. Um, that was very helpful. Okay, so um, I, I just want to, the reason I asked that question is because I think, and, and this was to an extent my experience was, I could live my entire life in college and, and think about all the things that embody um, Texas A&M or Blinn or whatever and completely have no idea about what's going on in my own backyard. So I'm going to talk about what's going on in our backyard. But first, do y'all, y'all still talk about the Christian bubble, right? Do we still, are we still angry about the Christian bubble? I know. Okay, we talked about two when I was in college. Ten years ago, I would walk around my buddies and we'd, uh, we'd be, at, then it was Sweet Eugene's today, it's Mug Walls, but we'd be like, uh, Christians everywhere, we all look the same and we all care about the same things. We need to get out in the world. 
Oh, A&M has such a Christian bubble. And we just like dogged on the Christian bubble. That's all we did. It's not all we did, but we did it a lot. So just really critical. Um, and, and so I think that still happens today where we, are, we, we just think, man, everybody in College Station is the same. This is a righteous place, a, a place with great churches and great campus ministries and great believers. And we are all doing this great thing, but we all look and act the same. What I want to ask, I want to push on that just a little bit, if y'all would allow me to. It doesn't matter, but I'm going to. I want to push on that a little bit. If, okay, if there is a Christian bubble, then I want to ask why are 54% of children in the Brazos Valley eligible for the free and reduced lunch program? Now, mind you, this is three times higher than the national average. Basically what this means, a lot of poor, a lot of poor people that can't afford food um, that qualify for the free reduced lunch program in college stations, much higher than national average, three times. If there's a Christian bubble, then why are 24% of children in the Brazos Valley living at or below the national poverty level? Now, I'm going to put things uh, in a little bit more concrete terms. The national poverty level is $21,000 for a family of four. Okay, to put it a different way, half of one teacher's salary on average, a family, an entire family of four is supposed to live on that. Okay, so I would argue that just because it says poverty level doesn't mean it encompasses all people that are living in poverty. If there's a Christian bubble, then why does Texas have the highest rate of uninsured individuals and Brazos Valley is even higher? And then finally, if there's a Christian bubble, then why are there 585 identified homeless children uh, in, in College Station uh, and Bryan? So CSISD and Bryan ISD essentially identified, yes, these are in fact the, the homeless families. Um, I would argue there are many, many more. Now, some people's political wheels might be turning right now and you're like, oh, there's a lot more to the story. And so I'm not talking about insurance or healthcare and all that stuff, welfare. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about that stuff. Okay, so let's, can, I, can, I, can we reel that back in? I want y'all's attention. I'm not talking about politics. What I'm talking about is we are saying that there's a Christian bubble and that everybody looks the same. What I'm merely arguing is, no, that's not true. We're in the Christian bubble because we choose to ignore the fact that there are people crying out for our attention right around us in our own backyard. So I'm not getting into politics at all. The debate was fun to watch last week, though, but I'm not getting into that. Okay, Um, so Christian bubble, you're there by choice. It's the way it is, okay? Okay, now uh, we we also, we hear a phrase um, also a lot of times when you're in... um, when you're in, uh, um, sort, I guess, circles that I'm in, social justice, one of the, catch, one of the sort of catchphrases um, is, you know, you quote the scripture, be a voice for the voiceless. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. You know, it's, it's scripture, so it's good. But, um, and, so, and so people are like, yes, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Let's do it. Wait, what, what does that mean? And so I'm going to tell you, excited person, what one way that that could mean uh, for Bryan College Station. Now, if you look at this map, I don't think it, didn't wind up as clear as it was supposed to. But, um, okay, College Station, uh, in the last year, what they decided to do was they decided to break up College Station, these different sort of grids. They call them neighborhoods, but they're much more than a neighborhood. So this one here uh, is basically George Bush to, to Welburn, Southwest Parkway up to Holloman, down to Texas, and back up to George Bush. Doesn't really matter if you understand the grid. I'm just sort of giving you a visual. So this is just one sample area. Now, what, they, what College Station said was, okay, if you are a citizen in this area, which also includes uh, Grace Anderson, if you're a citizen in this or a business in this area, please come to the meeting. When you're at this meeting, I want to hear what are your concerns for your community? Okay, so are you concerned with crime uh, and safety? Are you concerned with, um, with building codes? You can, whatever it is, please vocalize what your concerns are. And so everybody came, and this, is, this represents who all came. Now, what you're going to notice is 
there's a bunch of stars sort of scattered out all over the map, um, except in this one area right there. You like it? I have a Mac and I'm still doing red squares. Okay, so there's, this is Southgate right here, the Section 8 housing Section 8 housing right here, um, it's a little community, Southgate Village. It's a, a place that I very, 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 very much love. Great community. Um, there's, one, there's one star in there, even though there's 300-something families that live there. There's one star. There's one representative. So let's paint a picture, a, a, a way that this could easily go in College Station. It happens all over the... Okay, that's me. Um, a way that it could happen all over uh, College Station, uh, or the way it happens all over the city. Okay, I've lost it, whatever. Um, okay, okay, this is... okay. Let's back it up. This is happening all over the country. It's called gentrification. I don't know if y'all have heard about that. So essentially what happens is we, there are ways that we can move the poor people out. Okay. So this is the way it could play out in College Station. So we have these meetings. The citizens vocalize their concern. Oh, wait. Southgate is under foreclosure, which it really is. It's under foreclosure right now. Southgate's under foreclosure. You have a, some dude, an investor comes in. He buys up the property. He buys the property. He kind of sits on it until the Section 8 status lapses. And then, the, and then the citizens around that are represented at the meetings, they say, hey, you know what? We could get rid of crime and improve safety and improve our property value by sort of doing away with this little Southgate area, and all of our problems would be solved just like that. And so nobody's there to speak up for themselves, and, and so they do it. And that, and that happens all over the country. And so am I saying get involved in this stuff now? No, please don't. But whenever you move... And you uh, and you are going to these meetings as a, once you graduate and you are uh, living at home. You're concerned for your community. Speak up for the for those who can't speak for themselves. What that would look like is you're at these meetings. They say, "Hey, let's uh, get rid of the let's get rid of the community. It would boost up our property value." What you will say is, "Nay, we will not get rid of this community. How about we empower this community? How about we work with churches and with nonprofits? Let's figure out a way to build up this community instead of just get rid of them." Because the way that plays out, and it's happened in Bryan, the way that plays out is citizens, kids that we work with, they show up at their door and there's a paper on their door that says, hey, guess what? You have to be out by January 1st. Good luck. And then our kids are left homeless until they find another place to live. But there's a shortage of housing in Bryan College Station. So you see the way this is all playing out in our backyard? This is part of our community. And um, so... Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So you may be sitting there and you are highly convinced by these words that I have just communicated to you. And you're saying, Ryan, I want to get involved. I want to be a part of social justice. However, I don't have time. You know, when I get into something, I really get into it. I don't have time to really get into something else. And, and so my response to you would be, let's go back to the, the story of the Good Samaritan. You know what I love about the story is that... The Good Samaritan, he didn't grab all of his buddies and be like, hey guys, let's go down to this dangerous place where all the needy people need us to do things. Needy, needy, needy people. He didn't do that. He just walked and he looked around for people who were in need around him. See, it's easy. You don't have to be a part of a student organization. You don't have to be a part of Youth Impact or or whatever it is. You don't have to be a part of that. Just look and be attentive to the needs that are around you. Christ calls you to so what are some opportunities? One, y'all may have heard me uh, talk about this. There are needs all around us. How many of you, just since you've been in Bryan College Station, have interacted with a homeless person? Show of hands. Okay, cool. You can put them down. Um, okay, so uh, there are needs around us where there are people who have needs. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Here's your, here's your tip on how to 
in a very godly way engage a homeless person. One, they are made, according to scriptures, they are made just like you and I in the image likeness of God. Their divine stamp gives them a right to your attention. This is why James is saying we, we can't, if we, those of us who are believers in the faith, who live out our faith, we don't have the option to say, go and be warm or go and be filled and then just continue on our way. No, they have the divine stamp on them and therefore we are to enter into their life. Now, what does that look like? Very simple. I'm not talking about giving money or not giving money. I'm not talking about that stuff. What I'm talking about is you look them in the eye. You treat them like a person. You grab their hand and shake their hand. Say, I'm very grateful to run into you today. You pat their shoulder. You treat them like an individual. That's demanded of us to treat them like humans. Second thing is this. They may be in need, but you're not better than they are. Many times what I see, and I've done this too, where we, I, I get into um, working with those who have needs and I work with them, but I do it very much from the perspective of, oh, you poor, pitiful person, let me, let me help you out with my money, hold on. And we forget the fact that we are both sort of on the same level in many ways. There are some things that I have to learn from this homeless person. So please don't belittle them by, by speaking down to them or throwing money at them. It's not... Not cool. Okay, so that's a great way to interact with all homeless people. And I'm not even talking about giving money. Next thing, so I've already talked about how campus, you don't have to be involved with the campus ministry. You don't have to be involved with the church ministry or anything like that. But there are great ministries in our community that um, work to enact social justice and are founded on the gospel. We partner with these at Grace. A few of, and I want to highlight a few of them. One, Aggieland Pregnancy Outreach. They work with single moms to empower them to be great mommies, and they do a phenomenal job. They make sure that the women in there hear the gospel, know the gospel, live the gospel. It's a great organization. Hope Pregnancy Center, people, a couple comes to this place. They're trying to figure out whether they want to keep the kid or not. They're going to come to Hope Pregnancy Center. They're going to get an ultrasound. They're going to see the heartbeat, and they're going to decide to allow the child to live, and then Hope is going to walk beside them and figure out, okay, let's figure out how to have a healthy pregnancy and how to arrange our life in such a way that's going to be hospitable to this new beautiful miracle that we're about to have, Hope Pregnancy Center. Um, a third one is Youth Impact, as we mentioned earlier, mentoring kids, kindergarten through high school. Do you have time to do that? Let's do that. And part of mentoring means you enter into their life, you get to know their family, their schools, their teachers, all aspects of their life, and you share that with them and you walk through that with them. And then there's SOS, who does everything. SOS, they're mentoring. They have adult ministry, children's ministry. They're going into gangs. They're going into North Bryan, West Bryan, and they're busting things up for the gospel. Great, great organization and ministry. Lastly, we have the uh, Brazos Church Pantry. They gave out uh, the, the food shelter, all the food shelters together. They gave out nearly 4 million pounds in food just in Bryan College Station last year. And you know what? The great thing about all of these places, they need you. And so I don't know many of you from Adam. I don't know what you're like. If you consider yourself a Christian, or if you're a Christian, then go to these places. Go to these places and serve, whether you have one hour a week or 15 hours a week and anything in between. They need people that are willing to love on the poor. Lastly, uh, if none of these things fit you, if none of them fit you at all, you're like, I don't really do kids and I don't really do pregnant women and all that stuff in between. If, you, if that's kind of where you stand, I will find something for you. 
Somebody comes to me and they say, I really want to serve. I just don't, I want to find my niche. I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that we get you moving forward on that. You know, another, um, another common thing that I, uh, that I hear uh, with people with, uh, I guess, my colleagues, sort of a litmus test for how is your church doing in the community is they, they pose the question of, um, the question is, okay, so let's say Grace Bible Church. Okay, let's say Grace Bible Church was, for whatever reason, removed from your community. How would the people left respond? Would they mourn your loss? Would they, in a sense, be helpless? Would they notice you're missing? Would they say, wow, we're all the great students. We're all the great teachers. We're all the great businessmen, men of character, women of character. Where, are, where is everybody? I think a great illustration of that, and I got to see this this past Thursday, and it was a very beautiful thing, very dear to me. Is um, this last uh, this last Thursday we were uh, we did like a outdoor movie theater at Anderson Park. It was, it was ended ar- abruptly by cold sprinklers, <laughs> but but we watched Megamind in the park, and it was a lot of fun. And um, there's a man, a Chinese man, that lived across uh, across the street in some apartments. He walked over, and he was wondering. Um, you know what's going on? Why are these people? Why are these people here? And so he and I got to he and I got to talk a little bit. So I just asked him. I was like, "Hey, uh, Z, how was? Uh, so what's it like to be to be somebody in a completely different culture like this? How's how's how things been treating you?" And he said, "This is amazing." He said, "Nobody cares for the Chinese, but the church." And he's not even a believer. He said, "Nobody cares." except for the church. And then he said, even though he doesn't believe what we believe or anywhere close to that, he goes to Grace, the, uh, the Grace Anderson. He goes every week to that church because the people there are kind to him. What, what kind of church do we need to, to be <laughs> to where people like this guy Z don't believe anywhere close to what we believe, but he is grateful that we are there. What does that look like for all of us to, to, to be a part of a church and to be so dynamic in our community um, where that is our reputation to others? Um, let me pray. Lord, we give you thanks. Um, thank you for your word, which, uh, which empowers us to act. Um, we want to ask, Lord, uh, we want to pray for our community. Lord, we know that there are needs around us. We want to ask that you would, for each and every person in here, that you would give us a spark, give us a fire to, to enter into um, other people's lives that might be hurting Please give us direction for that. Uh, We love you and uh, give thanks to you. Amen.